rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Rumors of Grace. It's been a little while since you've heard from me, been taking a break. Lots going on, and I will tell you more about that in upcoming episodes and looking forward to a really great 2021. But in the meantime, I have a special guest with me on Zoom today. I have Mr. Daniel White. And I've, I've kind of, our paths have crossed, haven't they, Daniel, through the years, through the last year, over time? Because you're here in Nashville. You're a photographer, correct? Yep, yep. yep. Nashville's uh, the biggest small town I've ever lived in. So everybody knows everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the reason I've got you on the podcast today is, is you're, you're releasing a, a new book. It's a tabletop book of your travels, of your photos. It's called Sacred Moments, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, normally I give a bio introduction of my guest. And <laughs> instead of doing that today, I'm going to let our conversation be your bio because I think that's, that's what's most interesting to me of people who know you, you sent me a digital copy of your of your book, which I'm really excited to talk about. So why don't we just start at the beginning, leading up to leading up to sacred moments? Who is Daniel White? Are you a native of Nashville? Where what, what's your background? No, I mean it's been home since you know I moved here four different times, but that's a whole nother podcast we could get into. I just you know I keep coming back, and I just I <laughs> fell in love with it. Many years ago, my brother moved here before I did, but I grew up in Oklahoma, born and raised, and uh, born in Lawton, Oklahoma, raised in Oklahoma City, and um, I'm a kiddo to live musicians. That's uh, that's how I was raised. You know, my parents split when I was young, but they they played in a band together, and when I was about three, they they divorced, but they stayed close, and but they it was kind of like the band split, right? You you got one band, and it's your, you know mom and dad are the lead singers, and dad's the leader of the band and they split. So mom went to play more top 40, you know, more current pop music and as a lead singer. And my dad went the Southern rock country route. So, you know, when they couldn't get a babysitter or my dad or mom or whoever was watching us at the time, uh, couldn't get a babysitter. They'd take us to the club back then it's in the eighties. You could never do this now. And so my brother and I just live off the, the olives and those Moshishino cherries behind the bar, you know, for dinner. And, We'd fall asleep in the corner patent leather booth and come two, three in the morning, they'd peel our faces off of that thing because the sweat and throw us over the shoulder and go home, you know, and that was just our childhood. That's, that's, that's what you got, you know, and, and I think telling that story, people are always wide eyed, but I'm like, just is what it was, you know, that's just how we grew up. So did you end up being a musician following in the footsteps yourself? Well, I always joke, I had to play an instrument or carry a tune or I got kicked out of the house, you know, but, you know, but my brother, you know, he definitely took it to new heights and did really well and has done really well in country music. I, I, I love playing music and, and thank goodness, because that's how I met my wife. I played a song at a fraternity date auction in college and, and she bought me. So that's really about the only way that music, you know, coming out of my mouth has ever really paid off. Otherwise, I just, I love music and have worked in the music business. That's what brought me out here to Nashville, working in country music and Christian music and 
have done just about everything you can imagine in that industry. And so I would say, you know, from the business side and passion side, music is a huge part of my family's life, you know, and background and everything. So so tell me a little bit of tell me a little bit about your your childhood growing up. Were you a creative child? What what drew you toward photography? Is that something you did later uh, or what? Yeah, it's really interesting. So because my mom, my dad were extremely creative, like they just lived to be on stage, then quickly in, I mean we we played music, but quickly in, you know, our childhood getting into junior high and in high school I watched my brother really start taking to it practicing all the time wanted to have a record deal and all these things and I was just kind of watching all this and I was like I was kind of more of a you know jack of all trades master of none kind of thing where I'm like I can do any and everything you want me to do a little bit you know I always had hobbies right and left and I was a bit of a hobbyist and so that actually really paid off when going into all these different fields in the industry. But I would never have pegged like myself as a creative, you know, at all. I was kind of more the business kind of honestly kind of more type A, you know, always had money in my pocket, was always on time. I was a little crazy and wild, but, you know, I mean, I felt like I had to be responsible and, and when my parents and my brother, all they wanted to play was music and they never had money in their pockets and, and they were always late, you know, so somebody had to be the responsible one. Yeah. But, you know, so it was interesting. So I was very logistical early on and it just cause I had to be, you know, and it's kind of the way I gravitated. And so I was doing a lot of kind of more business sense, you know, tour management jobs, worked in radio. I was a booking agent for a little while. And so did, did really well, but I'd kind of gotten up to this point to where, you know, I mean, let's rewind back to, I had a, a couple of year stint involvement in missions. I was a missionary and kind of had this real de near death experience that kind of woke me up and went out and I kind of woke up and went out on the mission field. And, and that was kind of my only time I'd ever really done anything kind of really, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of off the wall, somewhat creative, like I'm gonna go do that, you know, right. kind of reactive. And, and so I did it, changed my life, came back, went back into logistical business head, Daniel, right? So then fast forward to, you know, finally got to this job and I was like, I was a booking agent for a few years and I was like, I just, I'm doing all these jobs in, in, in music, but I'm like, what am I really doing? Where am I going with this? You know, I'm doing all these different things. I'm getting to know great people, but there's nothing I'm like, that's what I want to do the rest of my life, you know? And so I, I make this change and kind of make this radical move and I, I leave the company and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I sit down with a friend of mine, who at the time worked for Food for the Hungry, and I'm just talking to him. I'm not talking to him about a job. I'm just telling him. And he's like one of three people in Nashville at the time. You know, it's like 10, 11 years ago, well, 11 years ago, and that knows about my missions background, right? And so he goes, tell me more about that. And so he starts connecting all these dots. And then he says, man, your missions background and living amongst the people when you were in India, because I was there for a really long time and I loved it. A little boy from Oklahoma wearing an Oakley hat all the time. And it was just, it was awesome. Game changer for me. 
But he's like, you know, that with all of this experience in music industry stuff, you would be a great fit for our artist program at Food for the Hungry. And I'm like, hmm, okay, yeah, maybe. And so we started talking about it. And so they, they brought me on board. And really quickly, and this is leading into answering your question about the photography, I was not a photographer at all. Like I admired photography, and I, but I wasn't a huge fan of it from a place of like, oh, that's my favorite photographer. Ooh, I want to do this. Ooh, I shoot film. None of that stuff. But it was more centered around people. I started hosting these trips, right? And I'm taking music artists and bloggers overseas to see the work of Food for the Hungry, which is next to none, just incredible. And I start meeting all these kids and these families and hearing all these stories. And I just began to come to life and I began to see life differently. And I, I began to see things differently. And so the best way I can explain it is I, I started bringing a little camera with me. And next thing you know, quickly, I mean, I started getting some notoriety of, of some of the photos that I took with some of the artists and some of the bloggers. And then I would get friends of mine that own companies back in Nashville that would go, hey, I didn't know you were doing photography. I know your capability as a marketer and all this stuff. Let's go. And so it's like all these things started happening and really, really fast. And it was just mind blowing and super cool and super fun. But you know, I, it, it reminds me basically what happened to me in this moment over time takes me back to, you know, around the time I was 12 years old and my grandma spent a lot of time with my grandma and I would always help her in the garden. I move things. She goes, Daniel, I need you to come out here. I need you to help me dig up that holly bush and move it over there. And I mean, you know, holly bushes, those are not fun to move anywhere sure. or even get near. And so I'm like, why? And she says, she says, well, it's supposed to have these little berries and these little white flowers on them. And they're just beautiful and they're not blooming. So I think they're in the wrong soil and I think they're not getting enough sunlight. So let's move it. I'm like, okay. Well, sure enough, we move it and they start blooming these flowers. And the only way I can equate, you know, what photography you know, coming out of me that way is that I, it's the only thing I can see. And I'm a patterns guy. I see patterns and I go, what was different? It was my environment. I was I always had great jobs. I worked around great people, but it was my environment. I was in an environment that, that, you know, I could get from A to Z the way I needed to. And I started seeing vulnerable situations and people hurting, but hope, I started seeing hope in these things. And I was just, yeah, I, I wasn't tethered. I wasn't held down and I, and, and I could kind of see things the way I needed to see them, but I knew I needed to capture them. And so I just feel like I got in this whole new environment that food for the hungry provided for me. And I became a diff, a new person. I became new. And I, and I, I had this new flower that bloomed that I call photography and I still don't call myself a photographer in a sense when talking about humanitarian work or whatever, because I mean, yes, I, that's what I do for a living. And, and that's, that's what I do. And that's what I get to do. And I love it. But, you know, I always say I'm, I'm a photographer when people are involved, you know, I want, I want to, I want to be a part of people's stories. It's that's what woke me up. That's what drew me to wanting to capture these things. And these moments are, are the stories and the, the, the inspiration of how vulnerable 
people were getting with these strangers that were coming into their homes. And it was just inspiring to me and has really, really changed my life, I think, for the better. And it's given me this new tool. That's the way I see it. It's given me this new tool to who I already was and helped me kind of see myself in that and help me understand who I am to the core and who, what the way I see life. Mm, mm, that's awesome. And so to, one of the things that, that you mentioned that I know about you is that you've traveled the world. How many countries have you been to? I hit 55 last fall. Vietnam was my 55. That's amazing. So is your goal to to go every country in the world? (laughs) No, I never, I never had a goal to even go to one, (laughs) you know, but no, I mean, I will say, you know, times are changing for the amount of travel that I'm done. I've done, you know, my kids aren't getting any younger and, and, you know, my marriage, you know, is stronger than ever, but it's taken its toll on that, you know, the amount of travel that I've done. But, but no, I don't, I don't have a goal. I mean, I just am kind of, you know, if I have an opportunity to go somewhere and at this point, if it makes sense and for my family and it makes sense for where I'm at in life, then I'm in, you know, but yeah, these last 10 years have been amazing, but a whirlwind, but you know, I think God has called me to, to be more intentional, mm. you know, with my travel, with with what he's gifted me with. And so, you know, where I think these last 10 years were like, sky's the limit, do anything and everything that comes to you. And I'm kind of on this backside of that now of going, wow, I'll never be the same. That was amazing, but was, you know, now it's time to be more intentional and, and lean into, and that's really kind of, you know, that's what this book is a byproduct of, you know, I felt like God was saying, you know, be more intentional a couple of years ago. And I started looking and seeing what that was. And, you know, my, my family doesn't really, they don't hear a lot of these stories that are in this book and they haven't, you know, I get home and I get back into life, you know, they don't, you know, we just get moving. And so I sat with a friend of mine, you know, a year and a half or so ago. And, and he said, man, you tell us these stories over coffee and hang times all the time. And do you, do you ever tell, do your kids see these photos or they, they hear these stories, you know? And I'm like, no. And they're like, you should put that stuff down. If anything, hide it in a box somewhere. So when you're old and gray or gone, you know, they'll be able to know them and see them. So I started with a little prototype book with Artifact Uprising and it's turned into a 300 page soft touch, totally like self-published. Like, I mean, I just saw them all today. And so I'm still visualizing all of them. I'm so proud of this project. And and for more reasons than just a book, I mean, it's a lifelong experience coming to fruition. The way that I see these people, the way I see life, it all started back when I was a kid. So it all comes to fruition for me. And it's so meaningful to have something like this documented. Yeah. So, so tell me about your journeys and what you learned. I mean, I, I, the, the photos are beautiful. They're amazing. Obviously, they're high quality, National Geographic-like but you're, you've been able to capture feeling, emotion, the human element that we can all connect with. What was, you know, what was the transformative about you? What did you learn about other human beings that you felt you had a good handle on? But once you started traveling and taking these pictures and capturing these moments and talking to these people, talk to me, talk to me about that. I have found, I think it was Augustine that says, you know, a person who has never traveled has only, you know, read one 
chapter of of life of the world is it's like this is how you this is how you begin to understand yourself this is how you begin to understand other people is you travel around and you see people that are different from you in different cultures and different environments and you understand that that maybe maybe the world isn't so scary as you thought it was and maybe you have more in common with people than you ever dreamed absolutely did, did you find that to be true and if so which i think i think i know the answer how would you describe that that continual unfolding or revelation of that truth in your life yeah oh yeah well said too and and yeah i mean i quickly learned that you know, I think that's one of the hopes in this in this book that 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 I hope people see are that you know these people in developing countries are I hope that we can see them all as our neighbor. Like they, the only thing that separates us as humans is our geographic location. Mm. You know, and I and I saw that constantly, and and I think what inspired me the most that I learned from the most is that so many people, there's not one time that I wasn't easily accepted into someone's home. Mm. And, and most of the time, I was the only one that was in a hurry to leave. <laughs> they were not ready for us to leave. You know, I mean, we spent, we went into a home, it reminds me the story, we went in and the, the quick story of Binu and Darkar are refugees in the Rohingya refugee camp. They're Rohingyan from Myanmar. And we were accepted into their home, which was probably about the size of this room and housed about 14 to 15 of their family members. And, and I sat down with, with the mother, with the grandmother and I, and I, and, and she was so excited and you would see the family come trickling in. And before you knew it, within an hour and a half of being in the room, the whole family was in there and we got a fam family picture and the whole thing. And, and, but it was nothing for them to accept us into their home for nearly an hour and a half. I mean, that's a long time. That's more than I had dinner time scheduled for my family last night, you know? And so, you know, I opened that, that question with, you know, why are we here? Why are we here in this refugee camp? And, and, and this is hopefully answering your question, but quickly she said, we were rudely awakened with guns to our heads, our homes being torched, in the middle of the night and forced to leave our homes. And that's what got us here. And we had to trek 17 days to get here. Where I come from, it takes a couple of cups of coffee <laughs> and maybe a little lunch. And then somebody's willing to kind of go, okay, well, let me tell you, I, you know, I, I struggled when I was 18 and I did this, or I, you know, this is where God has me now. And this is, it's like, they just jumped right in and that the trust was there, you know, the vulnerability was there. And, and that wasn't just the first time, you know, I mean, that's collective when we walk into a home and, and people are just, and, and the same phrase is always, is always said that we just can't believe that you would come this far to visit us and see our home, hmm. you know, and it's just, it means the world to me and, and has taught so much to me for me not to close my garage when I'm pulling my car in so quickly, you know, my, my neighbors may want to say hi, or I may need to see my neighbors or whatever. And so it's taught me so much, but at the same time, they have the same wishes for their children that I do. Right. You know, they wish for health, they wish for happiness. They, 
They, they hope that their children feel loved and seen and that they have opportunity and they get to go to school. It's all the same wishes and hopes that we have for our children. Mm -hmm. So they're just, it's not their fault that they were raised in a geographic location that, that, you know, alleviates their opportunity for, for health and wellness the way that we do, but it doesn't, doesn't make me any better. You know, if anything, I learn more from them than I feel like they learn from me when I visit. You know, there's so much about community and about loving one another and about their relationship with God. Mm. You know, we tend to, to lean towards all the things that we have for our comfort. You know, they have nothing. Therefore, they have each other and they have God. And, and they feel that much closer than I think I do mm. a lot, you know. Did this change your, your view of, of life, of maybe the American mindset of your, of faith, what, what shifted or changed or evolved during this process? I think faith, you know, I think, I don't even know that I've talked this out. You, you, you just kind of hitting on something that I knew that I needed to get that out there so I could process it. So you're getting a process here, but yeah, I mean, just the way that, that I see people and the way that I feel God sees people, you know, I have, I have, it has helped me to, kind of cut myself some slack a little bit. You know, I've, I've been pretty hard on myself because I'm like, God, how are you? How do you love me? <laughs> you know, and you've got to be so disappointed, you know, in me for the things that I've chosen to do and different things like that. But also just the, the, you know, the way that, that, that we see other people and the way that we, we tend to judge people out of the things that we don't know, you know, and I think, you know, in our country, it's, it's, it's so easy. And this, again, and I say this in, in my book trailers, like one of my hopes for the book is that we will see those in other countries as our neighbor, as our brother, as our sister, because it's true. It's exactly what it is, you know? And, and that has helped me at least, I'm not always great at it, but I think it's helped me to see everyone across the board as more of an equal, the way that God sees all of us, mm. you know, we just have different struggles because we were where we live, but it doesn't mean that we're any different of a human. We all bleed the same, mm. you know? And so that has allowed me to not be as, you know, judgmental or as, you know, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just so legalistic, mm. if you will, uh, as a Christian. You know, I've kind of pulled pretty far back, you know, but it's also shown me the importance of individual relationship too. Mm-hmm. you know, it's key, you know, it's, it's how, you know, when Jesus walked this earth, you know, it was one relationship at a time. It was a conversation. It was being willing to sit and listen. And that's always been my approach with a lot of these folks. A lot of people ask, you know, do you just go in these communities and start taking people's pictures? I'm like, no there's a relationship there. I would never just show up and start taking pictures. I couldn't imagine somebody unloading a 15 passenger van in my front driveway and just start taking pictures of my kids playing basketball. There's definitely a relationship there and it starts with food for the hungry, but then connects to me as I go in and, and, and I never have led with the camera. You know, it's yeah. always been with dignity and respect and, and you're, you're a human first, whether or not ever I even take a picture, you know, I go into a lot of these situations going, we'll see, 
maybe we'll get a good picture out of this, maybe we won't, but what we will get out of this is a good conversation that hopefully leaves this family or this individual inspired or heard or seen. Mm. That's always priority one. Mm. What are you hoping that people take away from the book? What, what's your, I mean, if you had in a perfect world, you know, someone buys your book, they give it to someone for a gift, they sit down alone for a cup of coffee and start thumbing through it. What, what are you hoping comes from that? Well, a, a, a couple of things. One, I said earlier is I, I just hope that, that we can see the world as our neighbor. Mm. you know, and not our enemy. And I I also, I love that it's a coffee table book. I mean, it looks really cool on my coffee table. I didn't know if my wife was going to want it on our coffee table first. You know, she's pretty particular, but she actually really, really likes it. It fits the motif, you know, but yeah, I really hope people put it on their coffee table, not because it just looks cool. You know, I created it to look cool on the coffee table, but it's created to just be these little vignette stories, right? It's not heady. It's not over the top. There's some of my favorite quotes in there. Uh, I've seen coffee table books where it's like a book. I mean, you've got to sit down and read it. This is not created that way. It's created to where if someone comes over and they just flip through it and land on one page, I hope that they find the eyes of a person and then connect to the right and just read that little moment. And what I hope for that is that it does a couple of things. I hope it makes that person that they, that they connected with in the book human. I hope that they can see themselves in that story or in that moment. And I also, I just hope it sparks conversation. You know, I think it's a conversation. There's a lot of really unique stories. There's some heart wrenching stuff in there and then there's some funny stuff in there, but you know, I just hope it sparks conversation, you know, where, you know, it becomes whatever it is they want it to become, you know, there's no real left or right or specific nuance that is like, this is what I want you to believe. You know, there's no education other than through story and what I, the way that I've seen these moments and experienced these moments. So I hope people see themselves in these books. I hope they, they get to, I hope it kind of inspires them also to kind of recognize their sacred moments, Mm. you know, because sacred moments are, are, I mean, basically the definition to this, which Ichigo Ichigi is a Japanese idiom that means sacred moments, which is for this time only and to never be duplicated. This is for this time only. And, and that's special, you know, and, and I, I don't think until I really kind of landed on this idea, I don't think I, have stopped thinking of all the sacred moments that I've had in life and then pondering on them and then recognizing, wow, that was life changing for me. And that will never be duplicated, you know? And so those are the things that I hope people get from this. That's good. That's really good. I love that. It's never to be duplicated. Tell me about a couple of those moments in the books. What what are what are give us a couple of examples? People who haven't obviously seen it yet. What were the most impactful for you? Can you give us just tell us a couple of stories that are in the book? Yeah. Oh gosh. You know what? Here, let me just grab. Sorry, stepping off. I just got these. So here, I don't even know if you've seen it other than the digital copy. The digital. I haven't seen the physical. But. Uh, so many, I'm trying to think, I mean, literally so many, 
I mean, I do think that that uh, there's a lady that I met in Vietnam. I had never been to Vietnam and until last fall. And obviously, as an American, we all we all kind of you know have our differences or our different understandings of, of of Vietnam and what that is as an American. But going over there, I've never been more accepted. I mean, it was mm. so amazing. And we were literally hiking up into the jungles of northern Vietnam, which soldiers wouldn't have been up there back during the war or anything like that. And we met this lady, I think she was 82 and we were walking with his family and we were literally in the jungles. I mean, it was a hundred degrees, 115 degree humidity. I had these leather hold fast straps and there was, I was sweating through them. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable it's how hot it was. <laughs> it was crazy. So we get up there and there's this sweet, sweet little lady. And we were just talking and talking and, and she, she said, I want to, I want to accept you as my grandson. I mean, she was just so special and so excited we were there. And, and then as we were leaving, she said, you had a group with me. She said, yeah, you're the first Americans that I've ever met. And it was a joy. And so it was like, I think when you have moments like that, where it's special, you have great conversation. We literally sat down. We did not interview or anything like that, but we just sat down and, and had a conversation and there was nothing in it for anybody other than just getting to know each other. And so I think for her to say, you're the first Americans that we've been able to make, you know, I've been able to meet ever. And she's 82. That's a big deal, but she lived up in these mountains, up in these jungles. And so that was really, really, really special for me, you know, especially as an American, you know, really, really super special. And then, oh gosh, I wish I could find that photo, but you know, I, I told you the story of Banu and, and Darkar uh, mm. was super special. That, that was a trip for me. I mean, as a photographer, we still, no matter how much you love your job or how, you know, how great a work you're doing humanitarian wise or anything, it can still become monotonous, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you can still hit a wall. And I had hit a wall before I went to the Rohingya refugee camp. And I literally, I almost like, I didn't want to take my camera and, and I was just done. I was tired. I was just exhausted and in life and, and everything. And so, but I ended up taking my camera and meeting them and, and seeing just the hope and seeing kids create kites from trash. Wow. I mean, that right there in the midst of their chaos, I mean, they're, they're, you're talking about a million people, Bob, that live within a two square mile radius in a refugee camp. And you see creative things like that come out of them. I mean, they're building kites out of trash bags that are flying hundreds of feet in the air. Mm. I can barely fly a kite that was cost $80 and is really well done. You know, yeah. it's amazing, you know, but I think I'm reminded of another story in Lebanon that was a game changer for me. It was, it was actually, it was actually around the time that, you know, we were kind of having that refugee crisis or issue here in our own country, you know, to where there was a, that put a stop at, you know, on immigrants right. coming in, different things like that. So, you know, we had this trip book for a while. That happens. We show up in Beirut, Lebanon, two days after. Perfect timing for an American to walk up in a Syrian refugee camp, right? And talk to people. So I sat with this just, just incredibly strong uh, woman who had uh, two children, one special needs, and another was a toddler, and her husband was off to work. 
and we talked about, you know, they'd been there. We were one of the first to leave uh, Syria due to the, the whole ISIS situation. And so they came over, you know, into the closest border area where they lived into Lebanon. And, you know, I heard of all their hardships and they just want to go back home. You know, they, they don't want to, I mean, they, she was telling me, she's like, we don't, we don't want to come to America. We don't want to go to other countries, although we're grateful, but we just want to go home. We have, we have 10 acres and a farm and a happy life. We just want to go home. And, and she, after talking for about an hour and a half, she and I really got to know each other. And so she was talking through a translator and I told her all about my family and everything. And, and she, she got really serious and she goes, Daniel, I want to tell you something. And she said something in her own language and the translator stopped and the translator kind of started kind of kicking around on the dirt on the ground and, and he wouldn't translate. I said, what did she say? And she, he looked at her and she looked at him and said, tell him. And so he proceeded to translate that she said, Daniel, as we, you know, we were wrapping up, she said, Daniel, I, I wish no harm on anyone, but I wish that you and your family could go through what we're going through right now so that you would understand where we're coming from and where we're at in life. You would feel mm. what we feel. And I, I mean, I was speechless. And I just, I just took it in and let her know that I, she was heard and we walked away and that was it, Wow, you know, and then we went to another home, you know, and it was a young couple that, you know, one had, the husband had come over looking for a home and she was held back cause she had, she was pregnant and couldn't travel while she was pregnant. And, and so she had, they had two toddlers, an older kid with special needs. And then she had just had this baby and we're sitting there with them in this old chicken coop. And, and this was, this one, this one got me, but it, it, we were there and, and she's telling me that she had to come over and sneak over the mountain to get into the country. And because they wouldn't let any more people through the border and she's hysterical. I've got my kids. My husband has a home for us, blah, 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 all these things. And so I'm hearing this crazy story of how she got over here. And you can see pictures of the mountains, snow-capped mountains. I mean, it's like going over Pikes Peak, if you've ever been to Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs. And she's bringing these kids over and had, I had to hire a Lebanese guy to help. And, and, I, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What happened that would cause you to risk your children's life to get over here? to your husband. I mean, I'm just like, this is, this doesn't sound right. What's going on? And she said, without, without batting her eyes, she said, well, my friend and I went down in our, in our local community and we were going into the market with the market guy that, that owns the market we grew up with. And he was being pulled out by terrorists, by ISIS. And, and we watched them behead him. And, and we came back and, and just to kind of stay I don't want to be rated R here, but, you know, they displayed him and put a sign there that said, you know, this is what it's, this is what happens when you're a bad Muslim. And, mm. and they, they decided it was time to go. And so we're meeting and talking to people like this. And thank goodness that there's organizations out there like Food for the Hungry and so many others that are providing a safe place for this. But 
you know, I think for me, I walked out of that, you know, with my friend, Mike, that was with me and, and I just couldn't talk. And I was able to take a Polaroid picture of them, which was really, really special for me to do because they had nothing. They left everything behind. What I saw was them, they had everything that they could carry and they didn't have any pictures. And I was able to give them their first picture since they had left of a Polaroid. And it was so special for me to get to do, but I walked out and I just, you know, I just looked at Mike and stopped and I just went, I'm just a kid from Oklahoma. Why in the hell am I here? What is this all about? Mm. And so that was a while ago. I mean, I think that was 2014, 15. And I can't remember the exact year. So don't quote me on it. But I, I remember that being a time of thinking of intentionality of like, this matters. Yes. Telling these stories matter. And, you know, I would want, I would want my story told, not just for dignity's sake, but for people to understand and for people to be heard and for people to feel. And, and I think that's part of the heart behind this too. You know, it's just knowing that, you know, I hope that people that know me that read these stories that are not just a flip screen flip on Instagram, that this is something that's in their home. I hope that they go, wow, I know Daniel and that's true, you know? And so those are heavy stories. There's some funny ones in there too, but I, I just, I think that's it. You know, I mean, those are some stories that really shaped who I am today and the way that I, that the way and, and the reason why I tell these stories because they open their home to me. Therefore they have, I, I need to share with them the dignity of honoring them and telling that story and for there being a reason why. What was the favorite, what was your most favorite place that you went to? Oh God, I have so many, man. That's, I get asked that all the time. But I think if there's a number one, it's India, mostly because I lived there as a missionary when I was 19 mm. and lived amongst incredible people. I love the food, the colors and just everything. But I had the opportunity of going back again twice, actually, in one year and working with the Banchata people, which is one of the most marginalized people in the world. And so getting to be a part of some pretty special work there with the House of Palms, which gives an opportunity for women and children that are in prostitution mm. to have a place to go because it's kind of the family business there. So it provides an opportunity. So I actually got to meet, there's a story in the book about Shalu who began that work at the proper age and kind of decided pretty quick on that. You know what? Even even though I'm really risking everything and I might be a kid on the street, I can't do this work. And so she left and was led towards one of the homes that we were able to build. And, and she now, last time I went, I said, where's Shalu? And they said, she's off to college. She's off to, to university. And I was like, yes. So by now she's, she's probably out. I think she was going to be a nurse or doctor or something like that, you know, but that, that country and that work and those people are so meaningful to me that I actually, I have a few tattoos on my arm, but this one, I don't even know if you can see it specifically yep. this right here, that little weird one, mm -hmm. it's my initial. And so the girls in that area, when they become of age and it's time for them to learn how to do the work of, of their 
family business, which they're the lowest cast. That's kind of what they're, they've been known for for 500 years. They brand or tattoo their first initial on their forearm. And so when I left, I a couple of friends of mine, and I decided to do that just to remember to pray for them and consistently have them on our minds and completely support them in any way we possibly can. So, yeah, that's pretty space, special. Yeah, country that's amazing. Where can people uh, find the book and see some of your mm-hmm. your photos and learn more about what you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah, you can go to sacredmomentsbook.com. You can follow me on Instagram, which is at Daniel C. White. It's the initial C. And then I, I actually went ahead and created a Sacred Moments book Instagram as well, which will be strictly some of these stories and different things like that. But there'll always be information about any public speaking or podcast stuff or any other information that has to do with those stories in the book. So sacredmomentsbook.com is, uh, it's exclusively there at this point. Okay. But, but something special with that is that it's going to fund something really special to me. I, I, I don't take a dime for the book, but it goes to fund a uh, new community center for my friends in La Cuneta, Dominican Republic. It's a food for the hungry community that I've been to multiple times. My family and I sponsor a child there named Brylan. That's super cool. Great baseball player. And I just felt that, you know, that's, that's what they needed. I wanted to, wanted to give back and hopefully we have, hopefully I'm able to create first edition. This is first edition. Hopefully I can do second, third and fourth and have unique special projects within that. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I got a, I probably another couple hundred books to sell before I can write that check to, to food for the hungry to help build that community center. So I'm that's on it. Yeah. it's awesome. So what's next for you is you're going to, you said you're not going to travel for a while. No, I'm, I'm slowing down a good bit. I mean, obviously, you know, things are a little weird right now, you know, but I think right now it's just uh, being really intentional on, on doing the best I can with this work. I mean, I'm a, I'm a philanthropist, so, you know, I have the opportunity to work with organizations and helping them in creative ways to, to, to fundraise and, and be a part of entertainment events and things like that. I still, you know, shoot a lot here in town commercially. I actually have some new opportunities once things open up to go, do some, some branding humanitarian work, which I will still do, just maybe not at the level being gone 60, 70% of the year, like I was, you know, definitely just being more intentional with what that looks like. But, but yeah, it's been so great being home and to be able to, I, I don't know that I would have finished this project, honestly, without, you know, things the way they are with travel and different stuff like that. So it's just trying to make the best with what we're given. And it's been, it's been pretty incredible pretty incredible year to get to finish a project like this and to be here speaking uh, with you about it. And, and it's neat to kind of go back and, and see where you've come from and how it's kind of led to what you're doing today. That's always, I'm always a big fan of a conversation like that. It always reminds me of the need for gratefulness and the importance of, of going back so that you, you can really truly go forward. So it's good. That's great. That's great. Well, Daniel, thank you for taking the time. And I know you're busy and promoting the book, but it's it's beautiful. I can't wait to see the physical copy. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can spread the word and help you raise the money for the orphanages and all the other good stuff you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, it means the world. I really appreciate you having me on, Bob. All right. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. 